When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from the other, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, who are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. When the righteous, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Um, I, I don't know where, where you're at in, in your Christian life, but sometimes I take a look around at the world and, and I just see a lot of need. And I see a lot of issues going on and sometimes I can step back and go, well, what am I supposed to do about this? Um, an example is yesterday we went to the farmer's market and, and it was really interesting. I had noticed like on, on this side of the river, if, if you've been down to the farmer's market, it's right along the river and, and it's just beautiful down there. And so on this side of the river, you have all of these vendors, uh, you have all of these families. Uh, of course, you know, it wasn't harvest time unless you consider cinnamon rolls harvest time. So uh, we reaped the harvest yesterday with that. And, you know, uh, so on this side, it's, it's all of these families and they're buying food and it's just this wonderful experience. But then I noticed on the other side, there, there was a man sleeping under the overpass. And I thought, man, that's, that's a really interesting divide we have here. I mean, over on this side of the river, we have people buying food and, and spending time together and enjoying themselves. And on that side, I'm assuming what I'm seeing is, is possibly a homeless man sleeping under the overpass. And, and you know, and, and you, just, you sort of sit back and go, well, what do you do? I don't know. That's, that's sometimes the, the answer that we come up with. I don't know. Well, Jesus speaks to this a little bit here in this passage, and I want to give a little bit of context uh, regarding this passage. It actually starts back several chapters to the triumphal entry of Jesus. And, and we celebrated that a few weeks ago on Palm Sunday. And we talked about the week leading up to his death and his resurrection. And, and when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he's coming in on a donkey and people are shouting his name, praising him, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna in the highest, which is another way of saying that we welcome you, God. You are the chosen one. You're the Messiah who's going to restore Israel. And so the people are excited, and the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders, they're upset about this. They don't want Jesus to be the Messiah. They don't want people to follow him. And, and so Jesus, just in that moment, is making enemies. Okay, so just in riding through town, getting attention, he's all, whatever enemies he had, he's getting more of them. And then he does something that I think only Jesus can get away with doing. I've never tried it. He walks into the temple 
and begins to flip over the tables and drive out the money changers. Because what's going on that week is they're preparing for Passover, and so people are traveling from all over, and when they walk into the temple, some of them didn't travel with any animals, so they need to purchase an animal so that they can sacrifice the animal for the Passover feast. And what's going on in the temple is, if you know anything about economics between supply and demand, the demand for animals is going up, the supply is limited, but then on top of that, the people that are selling, they're not thinking, how can I supply people? People with a sheep so that they can worship God. They're thinking, how can I make some money by supplying sheep so that they can worship God? And Jesus sees this and, and he just, he kicks them out. He says, this is not what my father's house is meant for. And, and in, uh, I believe it's in the book of John, he actually makes a, a whip and starts to whip people out of the temple. To give you an idea of what that would mean today, it, it would be like, it, it, I'm afraid to say it, because I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, but it would be like if I walked into the sanctuary and I saw some people, I don't know, doing something that you shouldn't be doing in the sanctuary, you, you, use your imagination, and I just start flipping pews and I kick everybody out of the sanctuary and I say, this is not to be done here. Pastor Mark might have a conversation with me, right? He might say, hey, uh, Pastor Josh, there's a way to do things, and that might not have been it, because now we've got to fix the pews, and we've got to get the trustees in, and now we've got to go talk to these people that you kicked out. But when Jesus does it, the people flock to him, because what he's doing is he's kicking out the corruption, and he's addressing what God has for his people, and he stays in the temple and begins to teach them. And they bring people that need healing, and they bring people that need help, and they listen to them. So remember the enemies he made while just walking into Jerusalem? Well, now he has even more enemies that want to see him killed. Well, the next day he goes back into the temple, and he begins to teach them again. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees approach, and, and they try to uh, quarter him with a question, which I would not recommend doing that to Jesus. But for three years, they've tried to do it. They try to ask him questions to trick him or to get him to say the wrong thing, and he never does. He says the right thing every time, and the people believe him. But the Sadducees, first they ask a question, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. And the second is just as great, love your neighbor as yourself. He passed the test. He, he didn't miss a beat. And so the Sadducees, they're defeated. And the Pharisees show up. And they try to start something with Jesus. And this is when Jesus, if you think flipping tables and whipping people out of the temple is, is uh, uh, gritty, he pulls out a, a prophetic statement to the Pharisees and he begins to speak like you would hear in the Old Testament prophets and he begins to give a woe to the Pharisees. Now, in, in our day and age, it, it's hard to really translate what that is except that what Jesus is telling the Pharisees is they are a sinful lot and if they don't change, they will die. More specifically, if they don't change, God will not accept them. He gives them these woes, and, and amid the woes are their corruption. 
And he says, you know, woe to you Pharisees. You'll travel miles and miles to make a proselyte or to make a student, and then you'll make them twice as deadly towards hell than what they were before. And what he's telling the Pharisees is, people are better off if you don't talk to them. People are better off if you don't even teach the word of God to them. That's how bad you are at this. So now, again, the enemies, remember? First, it was here because he rode into town. And then it was here because he destroyed the, or he cleansed the temple. He, he kicked people out. Now it's up to here because he has just told both religious leaders in the community that what they are doing is not a godly life. And as they leave the temple, I find this interesting. The disciples are, are interesting And and it's easy for us to say that because the Holy Spirit is with us and the Holy Spirit tells us what Jesus is doing in the Gospels. The disciples are figuring this all out for the first time. So the disciples saw all of this go down, and as they're leaving the temple, they say, Wow, Jesus, look at how great this temple is. I don't know, maybe I missed something, but that, to me, that's not the topic at hand. You know what I mean? I, I would have maybe asked questions about, you know, what did you mean by the woes to the, the Pharisees? Or, Jesus, what's your plan from here on out? But instead, they start marveling at the temple, and they talk about how beautiful it is. And then Jesus basically says to them, when I come... Or another way of putting it, when the day of the Lord happens, when God comes to judge his people, and I'm there, one stone will not be left on the other. And what he's talking about is the destruction of the temple. He's talking about uh, when the day of the Lord happens, this temple is going to be gone. And so they wonder, well, when is this going to happen? And you have several chapters where Jesus is, is talking about what's going to happen when he returns. So Jesus is ascended to the Father, he's in heaven, and he's waiting for the Father to send him back to to build his kingdom here on earth. And so when that happens, Jesus says it's going to be like a thief in the night, and he starts to give parables. He starts to tell stories to explain what it means to be ready, and he talks about being ready like a thief in the night. He talks about brides waiting for their husband to come and to marry them, be on the alert. He's talking about uh, uh, shepherds that look out for their sheep, and he's giving all of these parables, and then he ends on the passage that we're going over today. And he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, uh, he will come and gather the nations together. So what does that mean, that Jesus is going to come to gather the nations together? Well, we've talked about this a little bit, but in Jewish language, there's only two words to describe God's people uh, and, and not God's people. And it's just that. You're either God's people or you're not God's people. So it's sort of like if you're an American, you're either American or you're not. That's unfortunately how we tend to view the world. You don't, you know, it's, it would be sort of like if you decided instead of distinguishing what country other people were from, you would just say, oh, you're not American. You know, imagine that. Like, you know, you meet somebody and, and, and you can tell they're from another country and then they say, well, I'm from Canada. And you go, oh, so not America. Well, yeah, I'm not from America, but I'm specifically from Canada. I'm from Austria. Oh, yeah, so you're not from Austria, right? Or not from America, right? No, 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 I'm Austrian. No, 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 I know what you mean. You're not American. 
But that's the Jewish terminology. It was God's chosen people, Israel, the Hebrew people, and then there were the nations, everybody else. And the idea behind this was that God created his people so that his people could call others to be in unity with them. And so when Jesus says, I'll come to gather the nations, he's saying, I'm coming to gather everybody. I'm coming to gather my people, and I'm coming to gather everybody else. And he says, I'm going to divide them into two groups, the goats and the sheep. Now, the idea behind this, well, what's the difference between the goats and the sheep? Well, shepherds back then used to spend a lot of time at night separating the goats and the sheep. It was believed that they they needed different temperatures at the nighttime. And so they would put the goats off to one side and make sure they had everything they need. And then they would put the sheep onto the other side and make sure everything they, they have is needed. And what began to happen is it began to be a turn of phrase that you would separate the goats and the sheep. You would separate uh, the people that you were with. You would, oh, well, we're just going to go and separate the goats and the sheep. But what this specifically meant in this turn of phrase was it was believed that goats caused trouble. And it was this superstitious idea that said if you had a goat in your dream or if somebody had a vision over you and they said, hey, I saw a vision of you and you were dressed like a goat, to that community. They believed, oh, that must be trouble. There must be something wrong. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to separate the goats and the sheep, he's saying the goats are the troublemakers. The goats are the people that are wrong, the people that are causing issues. Does it sound familiar to what we just talked about? All right, hold that thought. So I'm going to separate the goats onto one side and I'm going to separate the sheep onto the other. So for the disciples and all of those listening, they would have understood what this meant, that this is a dividing line. This is not just, uh, you know, this is a dividing line that God is choosing. Let's put it that way. And so you ask the question, well, how does one become a goat and how does one become a sheep? And so first of all, Jesus says, those who are blessed by my Father are the sheep. This is really important uh, for our theology because we need to understand that it is God who chooses us to be Christians, first and foremost. Uh, We talk about finding God and and we talk about searching for God, and, and that's perfectly fine wordage. But at the end of the day, our theology, what we study about God, what we believe about God, is that God found us. That God is the one that's called us into salvation. Now, we do have a choice if we want to say yes or no, but it's God who's called us to be a part of his family. It's God who's called us into salvation. And so Jesus makes that point in this passage when he separates the sheep and the goats. He says, the sheep are the ones that are blessed by my Father. They're the ones that God has chosen. They're the ones that have said yes to his choosing. And then he says something else. He says, these are the ones that have inherited the kingdom of God. These are the ones that are going to be with God forever. Now, if you go back to uh, Matthew chapter 5 with the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what he talks about all the way back at the beginning of Matthew is that the kingdom of God is placed within our hearts. It's not just heaven, a far-off place that we go to be when we die. Heaven is actually a place that exists within our heart by the indwelling of God. 
And so when Jesus says you've inherited the kingdom of God, he's saying to his disciples, the sheep are the ones that have always had the kingdom of God. It's always been within their heart. And now they've been able to receive the full inheritance when Jesus comes to earth and establishes his kingdom. So he says they're blessed by God. Now they've received the inheritance. And so we ask the question, well, how? How, how did this occur? How, how did they become the sheep? What could possibly have been done? And Jesus says, when that question is asked, he says, well, when you were thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was in prison and when I was sick, you came to visit me. This is all very important because this has to do with hospitality. And this is very important that when, when you look back to that time, because if you remember, John the Baptist, as he's baptizing people in the water, one of the points he makes is when they say, well, how do I repent? How do I become part of the family of God? John the Baptist says, if you have two shirts or two tunics or two cloaks, you keep one but give another one to a brother. Don't deny anybody in need. And now Jesus is saying when he was in need, when he was thirsty, when he was hungry, when he was naked, when he was sick, when he was in prison, it was his people, the sheep, who came to visit him, who came to clothe him. And when you especially think of, of that time 2,000 years ago, food and resources were scarce. I mean, they, they lived season to season, and sometimes they would have a famine, and they would have to go to the storehouse, and sometimes the storehouse would be depleted, and so they'd have to ration their food and ration the seeds for the next time that they had to plant and harvest. This was a difficult life to live, and Jesus says, because you didn't have much but gave me a little, gave me what I needed, you are blessed by the Father. You can receive your inheritance, the kingdom. You are the sheep. Welcome to my family. And of course, the disciples would ask the question, or we might ask the question, well, when did I see you? When did I see you naked or, or in prison or, or uh, needing clothes? What's, what were those moments? And then Jesus responds and says, whatever you've done for the least of these or the least of my brethren, you've done for me. The point being in this passage, any time we've helped somebody that's been in need, we've not been ministering to that person. We've been ministering to Jesus Christ. Whether we know it or not, whether, whether we felt his presence, that's a fact. Jesus is proclaiming to his disciples and he's proclaiming to us today that when our hearts are turned, when we've received the kingdom of God in our hearts, it changes to the point that we see others in need, and as we help them, it's as if, though, we are helping Jesus Christ. Because we might ask the question, if you saw Jesus in need, would you help him? If you saw Jesus in need, would you help him? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Amen, absolutely. But that's the truth. Like, if we knew that Jesus was in this room today, we would do everything we could to serve him. And the point Jesus is making is he doesn't need to be in the room today for us to serve him. We serve him when others are in need. Now, how do we apply this to our life today? Well, first of all, um, i got to make sure that, that we understand this. This isn't a to-do list. 
All right, we, we've talked about this before, that the Christian life is not a life of to-do. It's not a life where God says, all right, if you give people water, and if you clothe them, and if you feed them, and if you help them, then you've earned your right to be one of the sheep, and then you can come into heaven. Wouldn't that Christian life be miserable if that's how we were supposed to live? Just a to-do list that every day, oh man, and I missed one, I hope I can still be counted as the sheep. No, that's not the point. The point is, is that when we allow God to change our lives, the list that he just gave isn't even needed. I mean, if, if, you, if you read the passage, he says, you, you gave me something to drink, you, clo- you did these things, and then the disciples were like, what, when, did, when would we have done those things? And we look at that, and, and we think, yeah, when have we done those things? And the reality is, if we're Christians who have been truly changed by God, we're doing those things all the time. We're looking for ways that we can help. So it's not a to-do list if we're applying this to our life today. But we're still going to run into those times where we look at life and go, what can I do? How can I help? Well, the application I have today, there's three parts to it. Uh, The first part is we have an issue in this community, and I'm sure many of you have noticed it over the years as you've lived here. We have an issue, issue of homelessness. We have an issue of drug abuse. And believe it or not, we have issues of poverty. I just found this out last month. I'm going to say it, and I just need you to believe me. Eau Claire County is the third poorest county in the state. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't see that all the time. This has been the best community my wife and I have ever lived in, but when you look at the statistics of homelessness, median household income, broken family units, you actually begin to see that we're the third poorest in this state. So how can we help in those areas? Well, the great thing about this community is that there are a lot of places, nonprofit organizations, private nonprofit organizations that are out to help these issues. A few of them that, that I've personally worked with would be uh, Community Table. They, their goal, and, and they followed through with it ever since they started, is to provide at least one free meal to any family in the community. They don't check income limits. Uh, They don't check family size. They trust that the people that are coming in are going to tell the truth, and they provide that food. Another one is Hope Gospel Mission. Many of you already know about that organization, but that organization is one of the best I've seen when it comes to rehab, when it comes to helping people get out of homelessness and start a new life. Another one is Feed My People. Feed My People is an organization here in the community that makes sure to get groceries to families that are in need. Now, I do believe with that one, there's a little bit of work that you've got to do as far as background check and making sure that you can get in and signed in, but that's one area of help. Uh, And it's, it's a lot of work, but a lot of these organizations, they run on very limited funding. In fact, a lot of these organizations are just working with local grants that don't renew every year, and so they oftentimes have to go and reapply for grants, and then if they get those grants, they can then work on their budget for the following year. I guarantee all of these organizations and any others that you find in the community run by volunteers. They run by people signing up. Now, there's a few of them, and and this is great. When you go to sign up at an organization and they say, I'm sorry, our volunteer list is already full, 
That's kind of a great issue to have in the community when some of these places already have those full. But what I've just named are only a few of the organizations in our community that can have need. And I encourage you to be a part of those. Another application that we have today is, I don't know if anybody has heard the news uh, this last week, but uh, it seems as if, though, the Supreme Court is looking to overturn Roe versus Wade. And in that, that you can clap for that. That's perfectly fine. Yeah. We've been praying for this for years. I, I have a family member who, uh, who had a child very late in her life, and she said, uh, she said as she was holding her youngest on her lap, she heard over the radio that Roe versus Wade had been passed, and she thought to herself, I'm glad I had this baby one year earlier, or else that may have changed my life. Roe versus Wade has been overturned. We've been praying for this for decades. I mean, we're, we're looking for the day that babies wouldn't be killed. But now, we have a lot of work ahead, don't we? Because now, we as a church has got to put our money where our mouth is. And the question that we often run into is, what can I do to help? Well, my wife and I used to license foster homes, and let me say there's a lot of places that we can go to to help. There's a number of organizations in the community. The Department of Human Services is the local county organization that's overseen by the state. They're usually the first ones to be involved in a family's life that has need. But there are plenty of other agencies that do adoption and foster care. And those are very important to get involved in as a church because people don't realize it, but the foster care system is, is practically overcrowded. And what makes it difficult on families is because the foster system is overcrowded. And so sometimes families will take in one or two more kids because they know there's a need, but they're not prepared for it. So oftentimes we would say when we worked in foster care, man, if I just had two more families on my list that I could call, and if I just had one more family that could take in a kid, I could do it. And let me tell you, it is hard work. But my goodness, is it fulfilling work. We need to make sure as we, as we see through all of this that we're supporting women in their pregnancies. Uh, this is what I tell everybody. Anytime a child comes into this world, it's beautiful. No matter the circumstance, no matter how the person got pregnant or where they're at in their life, I love holding a newborn baby. And so we support women that need that help. Another area that does this beautifully in the area, and we have a small connection with our church, is Apple Pregnancy Center. If you ever get a chance, they are a wonderful organization that makes sure that, that moms and dads have all of the training they need to be good parents. They make sure that they have all of the items they need to be parents, and they walk them through the process, not just not just at conception, but conception, I believe, all the way into the first few months of, of having the baby. These are organizations that you can be involved in. What, you know what I would love? Again, I'm not making a to-do list, but I would love it if Pastor Mark and I got a complaint from some of these organizations because too many of our people were calling in asking, what can I do to help? That's all it takes. That first step, calling in and saying, 
you know what, I know there's a big need out there. Is there anything I can do to help? And they might start big. <laughs> I mean, they might say, you want to adopt a 15-year-old? And you might say, I don't know if I'm ready for that. But they can walk you through ways that you can help, ways that you can be involved, ways that you can give if the organization needs that. Now, finally, uh, I know that some people are in difficult situations. Not everybody has the resources or the ability to help. I know there are some people that might say, well, I'm not physically able to go to feeding my people and, and stand on my feet for several hours and pack boxes. That's too much for me. And I know some people... You're on a fixed income. You're on a fixed budget. You can't add anymore. The giving is going to hurt you and put you in a bad place. Well, I just think of Acts chapter 3, verse, I believe it's verse 6, when, when Peter is walking with one of his fellow apostles, uh, a blind man comes to beg from him, and he says, would you give me alms or would you give me money? And do you remember what Peter's response was to that? said, silver and gold I have none, but what I have to you I give. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are healed. That's what you can offer. That song that we sang before the, the message here today, that's what we offer. At the very least, we offer a relationship, a personal one with other people. One that's able to say, Jesus can heal you, and Jesus can provide the resources for your life. So in any one of those areas, I encourage us as we look at this community and we see those in need to remember that as we see people in need, that's really Jesus waiting for us to come and minister. Let's pray. God, we thank you for all that you have done, all that you have heard in our prayers. And Lord, now we have another prayer we want to give to you. How would you like to use us? Lord Jesus, for anyone here that this is that one little pull that they needed to get involved, I pray that you would keep pulling. And Lord, I pray that you would open doors all over this community for our church. I pray that uh, we would get the social workers to answer the phone, that it wouldn't go to voicemail, that our emails would be answered, that any time we inquired, uh, we'd be given an answer that we're able to follow through with. Uh, Lord, we pray for more resources to advance your kingdom here. We pray for more resources to give and help those, are in, those who are in need. So, Lord, we pray for that today. And, Lord, we pray for any of the mothers out there that maybe they were looking at ending the life of their child because they're afraid of raising them alone or they're afraid of not being a good mother. God, I pray that you would send one of us to them to speak life and truth to give them a drink because they're thirsty, to give them food because they're hungry, to give them clothes because they're naked. Lord, send us, use us, so that we can be involved in your ministry today.